Well, as you can tell, we're going to do things a little bit different this morning. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn them to the book of Philemon. Uh, now, in case you're not very familiar with where that book is, it's in the New Testament. Um, it, it's towards the end of the New Testament. You can find it right before the book of Hebrews and, and James. So if you make it to Hebrews and James, uh, you've gone a little bit too far, just back it up. Uh, now, I'm going to guess you probably haven't heard a whole lot of messages out of the book of Philemon. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on this, this book. It is written by uh, the Apostle Paul. It is written while he is a prisoner um, there of the Roman government. He is writing it to uh, a man by the name of Philemon who lives in the city of Colossae. And he was led to the Lord by Paul. And the thing about it is going to be a personal letter concerning uh, a man by the name of Onesimus who was a slave of Philemon's. No, the Bible is not condoning slavery. Uh, in fact, I'm actually going to turn it upside down on his head. Uh, but he is writing and speaking to something that was happening in that moment, in that culture. And as you see, the, the title of this message is this, The Power of the Gospel. And that's what we really want to see. It's what we're going to see uh, here in the book of Philemon. Now, uh, I know that in your uh, bulletin, there's an outline that says 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 16 to 33. Uh, that was the plan. Uh, God said, nope. And so I would encourage you just flip that little outline over and you can take a few notes if you're so inclined as we go through this. Let me give you the one big thing here. Being in a right relationship with God is necessary for us to maintain relationships with others. Being in a right relationship with God is necessary for us to maintain relationships with others. So let's look at it together. Uh, Philemon, it's only chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to begin in verse 15. I'm going to ask if you would stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together. It says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity uh, just to expound uh, on your word and to understand it. And Lord, we know that that's only possible as your spirit gives us understanding. And so, Lord, this morning we are praying that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, let me give you the one big thing. Being in a right relationship with God is necessary for us to maintain relationships with others. And I'm just going to ask if the slide be advanced, it's going to be the title slide that says the power of the gospel because that's the central focus. I want, I want us to see this over and over and over. Uh, for those of you who come here a lot, uh, you're probably used to about three points and two points of application. Um, not going to happen today. Uh, we're we're going to walk through this text. We just read in verses 15 to 18 the key verses of this entire book. So now we're going to expound on them throughout the rest of the book. So the first place we're going to start is verses 4 through 7. 
And if you want to take notes, I would encourage you to write this. Love is a distinguishing mark of a Christian. Love is a distinguishing mark of a Christian. What we see in the beginning of this text here is Philemon's example in the past. He is being praised by Paul as a man who loved those around him. And it's in keeping him with what Jesus said in John 13. He said, by this, all the world will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, I want us to consider this for a moment, okay? Out of all the things that Jesus could have said are proofs that we belong to him. He didn't say, if you pray for five hours a day. He didn't say, if you read the Bible six hours a day. He didn't say, if you memorize whole books of the Bible. He didn't say, if you give thousands of dollars every week. He said, the world will know that you belong to me if you love now. If you love one another. And so love is a distinguishing mark of a Christian. Now, the Apostle Paul takes it a little bit further. Uh, we've already heard it, but in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Our highest calling is to love. To love God and to love others, especially those that are brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing in those verses, if you're taking notes, I would say you could write this. The gospel gives unity. You know, a lot of times you'll, you'll hear uh, pastors or, or you'll hear uh, churches say, well, we have to, uh, you know, create unity. Here's the thing. We can never create unity. We are given unity by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, every person who is a born-again child of God has a common bond. That common bond is Jesus. I mean, even if you were to look at this service, okay, I said the same thing in the 830 service. If you were to look around, there are a lot of differences in this, in this group. I mean, there are different educational backgrounds. There are different socioeconomic uh, standards. Um, there are different political persuasions. There are a lot of things that would divide us. But what we have to understand is the power of the gospel gives us unity because of the blood of Jesus. See, in Jesus, we have all the reason we need in the world to love each other. Because Christ loved us. Because we are all sinners who Christ died for. And when we were saved, our sins were cast as far as the east is from the west. What I want you to get is this. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have been adopted into the family of God. And so every believer here, you have a family that you belong to. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us our unity. So then we, we progress down to verses 8 and 9. And again, you, you can write if you want to. We use our authority to build up. All right, so let me just kind of ask you a question. Anybody here ever struggled to do the right thing? E ever needed, like, some help? Maybe a swift kick to the backside to, to encourage you to do what you have been asked to do, right? Like, we, I mean, we have this trouble. We know what we're supposed to do, but sometimes we need a little help. Well, Paul here in the text is saying, I've got the authority to do two things, Philemon. Number one, I could keep Onesimus with me. After all, I mean, he, he's beneficial to me. So I could keep him here. But I'm not. But then the second thing he, 
Paul tells Philemon is this. I could make you do the right thing. I could make you forgive. After all, Paul is the aged. He refers to himself there. He, he's an apostle. He's an elder. Uh, he is a spiritual father of both Philemon and Onesimus. So he could have used fear as a motivator. Now, here's the thing about fear. Fear can be a good motivator for a while, right? I mean, parents, let, let's be honest. Have we ever used fear to motivate our children? Yes, we have. And it works great until one day you are now looking up at them. And then guess what? All your power, all your control, all your fear tactics are gone. I told you to do this. So? And, and every parent in here has that moment with, with their child when because I said so no longer works. We've, we've lost the advantage. Why? Because we used fear as our sole motivation for getting them to do the right thing. So Paul is going to not use fear to command Philemon to do the right thing. Rather, he's going to appeal to something higher. He's going to appeal to Philemon's faith. He's saying, Philemon, you know the right thing to do. I know you love Jesus. You know what you're supposed to do. So Philemon, rely on the Holy Spirit to help you do the right thing. I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me. Um, sometimes, I, I've, you know, there's a couple choices in front of us, and, and I'm not really sure which is the right choice. That's what I like to tell myself, but that's really not the case, is it? We know what we're supposed to do. The problem is we just don't want to do it. We, we want God to give us a caveat, an out clause, from, from doing the, the, the right thing. Anybody ever knows God never gives us the, the out clause? See, here's, Paul's not going to use a heavy-handed tactic to, to get something accomplished. He's just going to say, Philemon, I know the Holy Spirit's living in you, so you need to do it. And in doing this, church, I want us to see that Paul teaches us such an important lesson right here. And here's the lesson. It is the Holy Spirit's job to do the convicting, not mine. My job your job as a Christian is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. To be zealous for God's truth. We have got to love the truth of the Word of God and we've got to defend and guard the truth of God. We have to love people enough to share with them the truth. But then, you know what our other responsibility is? Get out of the way and let God do what only God can do. not our job to bring conviction that's the spirit's job because only the spirit can draw and convict and save or, or change so what we do is we love God and we love others and we pray that God will do what he's called to do and then we get out of God's way and let him do what he does so as we continue to progress we go to verses 10 and 11 and you can write this Paul's three appeals Paul has spent the first five verses here telling Philemon what he should do. Now he's going to give him three reasons why he should do it. All right, the first one is Philemon's relationship with Jesus. Paul, Paul's really saying, Philemon, you are being given the opportunity right here, right now, to show your relationship with Jesus and to show the power of the gospel. 
You've got Onesimus dead to right, but man, show him something different. The second appeal is Philemon's knowledge of what the Bible teaches. Again, Paul's going, Philemon, you know what the Bible teaches about forgiveness. You know what you're supposed to do. Now just go do it. I know you love Jesus. I know you know what the right thing to do is, so go do it. And finally, his third appeal is Paul points to the fact that Onesimus has been saved by grace. Paul's going, hey, Philemon, you remember the, the grace that saved you? It just saved Onesimus as well. You guys are, are, you have a different relationship now. You're not just owner and, and slave. You are now brothers in Christ. You are part of the same family. You have been adopted by God. Paul, as only a spiritual grandpa can do, is kind of coming along with Philemon. And he's saying, listen, Onesimus is a new believer. So I need you to show him the radical difference the gospel makes in somebody's life. I need you to represent Jesus to him. And I kind of wonder, how often do you I stop and ask or, or stop and realize the awesome privilege we're given? You know, when, when Jesus was walking the face of the earth, he represented God because he was God to all the world, right? So 40 days after his resurrection, there in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. What did Jesus just do there? He transitioned his authority to the church. He says, the authority I have to represent God to the world, I am now giving to you, church. So that everywhere you and I go, in our homes, in our jobs, in the grocery store, at the ball field, wherever you go, you and I are called by God to represent Jesus to the world. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. So I just want to ask us a question. When people see us, and when they hear us, what picture of Jesus are they seeing in you? You and I are walking, talking billboards to the power of the gospel. I want you to think for just a moment, where did Jesus find you? What mess did Jesus Christ meet you in and save you from? And what has he been doing in your heart and your life? How has he been changing you? That's a pretty radical difference, at least for me. I know the mess Jesus found me in. I can sit here and testify all day to the power of the gospel. But let's, again, let's be honest. Sometimes doing the right thing isn't always easy, right? It's not revolution, it's not a revolutionary thought. So let's talk about it. Verses 12 through 14 in the text here. And you can write this. Salvation requires submission. Salvation requires submission. There are times in our Christian walk that we know the right thing to do, but 
We, we, we kind of identify with Paul. You remember what he said in Romans 7? The things I should do, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't do, those are the things I should do. You want to know his grand summary of that? Ah, I'm a wretched man. We identify with that, right? Like the things that we know we're supposed to do, we're like, I'm not going to do that today. The things that we know God has said, yep, shouldn't do that. Yep, that's what I'm headed to. Like we get that tension that, that is here. And, and so I want us to see the tension in our text. Philemon was wronged by Onesimus. There is nowhere in this letter that that is doubted or disputed. The world would say to Philemon, hey, you have every right to be mad. You have every right to go get justice. Go get yours, Philemon. But you know what the gospel says? The gospel says, forgive him. Release him from the death. Now, nowhere in this letter or the rest of the New Testament, in fact, do we read that Onesimus was sorry for what he did. We don't see that he went back and begged for forgiveness. This letter, in fact, ends by Paul saying this, Philemon, I know you're going to do above and beyond what I've asked, and I'm grateful for that. I know you love Jesus, and I know you're going to do the right thing. Why in the world would God not tell us how this story ends? You ready for this? Because it doesn't matter. Because this story is about something bigger than just Philemon and Onesimus. This story is about you and me and our sin and our need to be saved by Jesus. This, this was never about Philemon and Onesimus. Yeah, they needed to get things right. This is really about you and me. And what are we doing? How are we handling what's coming into our life? Now, I, I want you to, to put yourself in Philemon's shoes for a moment. You have been wronged. You're mad. You probably want a little bit of justice. But because you're a child of God, there's this inner tugging that's happening. It's this, it's this tug of war that you start to feel this conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, and in your sinful nature, you're going, I'm going to get you and I'm going to make you pay for that. And the Spirit's going to go, no, you're not because you love me. You're going to love them and you're going to let it go. And, and there's this constant tug of war going on inside of us. And the Spirit is saying, you're going to forgive them even if they don't ask you for in fact, you're going to forgive them before they even ask for it. Anybody else want to go, that's a whole lot easier said than done. All right, so let's put the other set of shoes on. Let's put on Onesimus' shoes. As hard as it is to forgive somebody who has truly hurt us, can we be honest? Sometimes it's even harder to admit that we did something wrong. But this is exactly what Onesimus is being called to do. You see, in order for me to go back and, and confess my sin, that requires us to swallow our pride, to admit that we were wrong, and seek to restore the relationship that we broke. 
And so often we're afraid to take that first step towards the other person because we think that that somehow shows a sign of weakness. Church, I want you to hear this. Taking the first step of admitting where you were wrong is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of humility. It's a sign that you recognize you messed up. And I want us to remember what Scripture says. That God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So often we like to justify our wrongness. We go to somebody and go, listen, um, I know what I did was wrong, but, stop, right there. As soon as you say the word but, stop, because this is what you mean. Everything I just said was a complete lie, now I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, I, I, I kind of messed up and I'm really sorry, but you know, you started it. Like, anybody have kids that do that? They started it. And, and what do we as parents say? Well, I'm going to finish it. Like, ooh, all right, hold another sermon, another Sunday. But here's the thing. When we say, I'm sorry, but what we are trying to do, we are not humbly confessing. Rather, we are justifying our pride. We are saying, I'm right to hold on to this hurt. We need to feel the, the tension in both of these situations. And we need to admit that neither confession nor forgiveness comes readily or natural to us. Why? Because we're fallen sinners. Dr. Matt, I would submit to you, this to you, church. Apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus, apart from our constant dependence upon the Holy Spirit, we cannot and would not confess our wrongs and forgive those who hurt us. In fact, the matter, you can go read there in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, and it would go this far to say, we wouldn't even go after God. If it wasn't God calling out, convicting us, and drawing us, we wouldn't even take a step towards Him. The reason that Philemon could forgive Onesimus is because Philemon had been forgiven by God. See, it was never about Onesimus. This was about Philemon's relationship with Jesus. And I want you to understand that, that forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with your relationship with God. Why can't I forgive? Because I remember how much God has forgiven me for. And if God's not going to hold it against me, how in the world can I hold it against anybody else? Philemon had to come to the understanding that there is nothing that Onesimus could do to him that is worse than what he did to Jesus. I mean, it, it was Philemon's sin, just as much as Onesimus, as much as it is ours, that sent Jesus to the cross, right? I mean, in our sin, we have harmed God more than anything anybody else could ever do to us. And the reason that Onesimus could go back and confess his sin to Philemon was because Onesimus knew this that the moment he surrendered to the grace of Jesus Christ, all his sins, past, present, and future, had been cast as far as the east is from the west. They were gone. Now, does that mean that Onesimus was happy and excited to return to Philemon? Not a chance. I mean, let, let's, let's think about this again, all right? What was Onesimus? 
He was a slave, right? Good. All right, so at a minimum, as a slave, he ran away. Now, if we are to look here in the text and look at verse 18, you know, he says, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, that is, if he's done anything wrong or he owes you something. So what Paul's essentially implying is not only did Onesimus run away from his master, but he stole from his master so he could run away. Uh-oh. These are two offenses that are punishable by death. So something tells me when Paul is saying to Onesimus, hey, you need to go back and get this right. Onesimus is like, you know what? I was with you right up to that point. What about you and I, though? How do we handle it when the Word of God confronts us in our sin? Man, it's easy when we start reading the Scripture and going, yep, that person's guilty of that. Ooh, they ought to be at the altar repenting for that one. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit goes, I'm not talking about them, I'm talking to you. Well, Lord, I spent enough time in prayer today. Close the book and go, right? We, we, we don't want to deal with it. Why? Because the Word of God, under the authority of the Spirit of God, comes to us and goes, I'm talking to you. What about you? But nevertheless, this is what Paul told in this list he's got to do. You've got to go back and you've got to make it right. Now, this is the reason that Onesimus could do it. It very well could cost Onesimus his life. But he knew because he had been justified by God's grace, he knew that one day he would stand before the ultimate real judge, Jesus Christ, and he wouldn't answer for his sins because they had been paid for by the blood of Jesus. So whatever Philemon was going to do to him would not change his standing with God. And so that gave, the power of the gospel gave Onesimus the ability to go back and to make right what he had broke. And this is truly the power of the gospel. It gives us the ability to forgive the person who has hurt us the most. And it can give us the ability to stand against the greatest accusations of man and know that in Christ we are justified and that... Jesus' righteousness is my righteousness by that blood of Jesus. This is something only the gospel can do, church. It can free us. So in verses 15 to 20, we're going to see two ways, two aspects of God that make this possible. If you want to write this down, God's sovereignty. Verse 15 of the text Paul is reminding Philemon that God is in control of all things at all times. That's what it means to be sovereign. Now Paul, don't, don't misunderstand, Paul is not condoning what Onesimus did. Okay, I mean right there in verse 18, Paul's going, yep, he's guilty. So his guilt isn't in doubt here. But Paul's saying, Philemon, God is bigger than this circumstance. God can take whatever you're experiencing and He can turn it around for His glory and your good. Now, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to have a clue what you're going through right now. I don't know what circumstances you faced this past week. I don't, I don't know what you're dreading coming this week. 
but this is what I do know. That there is a sovereign God seated on the throne who is bigger than any man or any circumstance you will ever He's bigger. He can take everything in your life that looks like a mess and he can turn it into a masterpiece because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Even the bad stuff, even the stuff that you tossed and turned in your bed last night and you were dreading it. And you're going, man, I don't want to go do this. God's going, don't worry about it. I got this. Watch this. Watch what I do. Hey, let me give you an example, okay? Um, Joseph in the Old Testament. Most of you probably know his story. Uh, in case you don't, let me just quick cliff notes, okay? Uh, he was the favorite son of his dad. He was hated by his brothers. Brothers hated him so much, they sold him into slavery only after digging a pit and wanting to kill the guy. All right? So they sell him into slavery. Well, he rises up in power in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife one day accuses him of raping her. Well, that's not going to end real well for Joseph, right? He gets thrown into prison, gets forgotten for at least two years in prison. Now, understand, his brothers orchestrated every bit of this. Yet the whole time, God was orchestrating his plan for a bigger purpose. So after a while, Joseph gets reunited with his brothers and his dad. And Joseph is able to provide a place, a nice place for his family to live. After a time, their father dies, and so they take him back up to the promised land and bury him. Now, could you imagine being Joseph's brothers? Like, sometimes, I, again, I'm not going to speak for you, but sometimes I think the only reason my children do not kill each other is because mom and dad are somewhere around and they're, they're scared. Okay? Well, guess what? That fear has been removed. Their dad's dead. Can you imagine Joseph's brothers? They are terrified of what he is about to do. See, the tables have completely turned. When he was a young punk, they were older. They were in control. Now, guess what? He's still younger than they are, but he's got all the power. They are living in his rented house, essentially, and he's powerful. He's number two in all of Egypt. They are going, we are in trouble. So they make up this fictitious uh, conversation that their dad had with them. And what Joseph says stops them cold. They're sitting here going, listen, man, we didn't mean anything personal. You know, we, we didn't really want to hurt you. We didn't think you'd go on this long. You know, dad doesn't want you to kill us. And he's like, stop. Am I not in the place of God? You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good to bring it about as it is this day to save many people. Joseph is looking at his brothers. They're terrified of what he's about to do to them. He goes, guys, do you really believe that God didn't orchestrate this whole thing? You don't believe that God placed me here for a purpose? You're right. You did it. You did it for evil. You wanted to hurt me. But God's bigger than you. And this situation is bigger than you. Because what God was working out wasn't just for me. It wasn't just for you. It was for everybody that's going to come after us. Why can you and I forgive when somebody hurts us? Because we can realize 
that it's simply God moving us and placing us in the position He wants us for His glory and our good. Now why is it that we can, that, that we would want to readily confess when there's sin in our life? Because we don't want to do anything that would keep us from being useful to God and His kingdom. And church, sin in our lives makes us useless to the king and the kingdom. So we confess it because we want to be used by God. And we forgive because we see God moving us where He wants us. I love Paul's appeal in verses 17 to 20 in the text. He says, Philemon, I loved you despite your sin. Can't you love Onesimus despite his? I overlooked your shortcomings. Can't you overlook his? Here's the second thing it teaches. Jesus is our substitute. Paul's words in verse 18 here really kind of take us back to what Jesus said on the cross. As Jesus was being laid down on the cross and nailed there by the Roman soldiers, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at what Paul says. If he has wronged you or if he owes you anything, put that on my account. Again, Paul's not doubting that Onesimus did wrong. He's acknowledging, yeah, he did wrong. But Philemon, put that on my account. I'll pay. You forgive him, I'll settle the debt. And in this we see one of the most beautiful pictures in the New Testament of Jesus Christ as our substitute. Because every one of us, apart from Jesus, stands guilty, condemned, and awaiting our eternal sentence. There's nothing that we can say, there's nothing we can do that would change that sentence. Apart from Christ, you are dead men or women walking. And then all of a sudden we read that Jesus stepped in. And because of his great love, grace, and mercy, Jesus went to the cross in our place. He took our sin, our, our, sin, our shame, our guilt, and our punishment. With his own life, Jesus died the death that we should have died. But Jesus didn't just take our sin. When you surrender to God's grace and receive God's gift of salvation, He not only has taken your sin, but then God gives you the same right standing with Him that Jesus has. So no longer does He see us as vile, wretched sinners that we are. Rather, God looks at us and He sees us as holy, pure, and blameless, just like Jesus. This is the power of the gospel that it can take a sinful person who is just vile. And though my, our sins are many, by His blood we can be washed white as snow. That's what He says in, in Isaiah 1. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow. This is the power of the gospel that can redeem us and restore us to a right relationship with God that can reconcile relationships with one another. I want us to walk out of this place this morning just in absolute awe of God. 
just praising him for his love, his grace, and his mercy. And so this is what I want to do. That's what I want to close with. Maybe you're struggling to forgive somebody. Maybe you're struggling to admit you were wrong. I want to encourage you in three ways. Number one, remember that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. You know, I love what author C.S. Lewis said about the issue of forgiveness. Lewis said, quote, We forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Number two, I'm not doubting that you hurt. Maybe you're still carrying that hurt and you're nursing that hurt. So I would remind you of this. No one has ever, nor will they ever, do as much to you as what we have done to Jesus. Finally, I would say in Christ all of our sins have been paid for. Therefore, I have no right to stand back in judgment or condemnation of someone for what God in Christ has already judged and removed. To do that is to put ourselves on the throne that rightfully and solely belongs to Jesus Christ. And when we do that, their sin has become our sin. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Holy Fathers, we come before you right now. God, I pray that we've all been wrecked by this sermon. Father, we we need to see you for who you are. The sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-gracious, wise King to whom belongs honor and praise and glory now and forever. Father, we need to see ourselves clearly There's, all we can do is say thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving me when I was so unlovable. Thank you for willingly leaving the, the glories of heaven and that throne to come to this earth and, and to lay down your sinless life on a cross for me, the sinful one. And Father, because... I've been saved by grace. I've, I'm not the same. We are not the same. And so, Father, my earnest prayer this morning is very simple. As we have made much of Jesus, as we have held up this holy standard of your word as your spirit 
has gone out and spoken. Father, may we simply respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song. The altar is open.